Lord, so much that somehow, Lord, as we continue on this Christian journey, we begin to take you for granted. You're like a picture on the wall that we really no longer look at and can't even remember why we hung that particular picture on the wall. You're that item that somehow, Lord, came into our life but don't have the same value, the same meaning, the same importance that you once had in our lives. Would you refresh us? Would you revive us? Would you renew us? Would you awaken us to your presence in our life and what you desire to do in us and through us for your glory? Draw us closer, Lord. Let us not be like Israel, who would be zealous for you for a while, but then, Lord, it wanes. It kind of like dissipates. It begins to disappear. But, Lord, be fresh in our life each day, each morning. Renew your presence with us. Allow us, Lord, to experience you anew. And Father, draw us close to you. Draw us close to you that we can hear your heartbeat. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. Cause us to be a people who are desperately chasing after you for our life. And Lord, Would you, oh God, minister to us? Take the voice of Gus Brown and somehow, Lord, remove it and speak to each heart. And may we have a heart to hear you. May we have ears to hear you. May we long to hear from you. Speak to us. We are your people. And we recognize, Lord, we're not what we should be, but we're not what we used to be. And yet, Lord, we're not worthy of being called by the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he has chosen us, and we are here. We are here, oh God, to hear from him, to be ministered to by his Holy Spirit. Minister to us. Quicken us, awaken us, pierce our hearts, motivate us, give us a deeper love, a zeal for thee. Open our eyes that we might see more than what we see. And we'll give you praise and we'll give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Our God. One songwriter says he's an awesome God. But how many of you know or realize that over 90% of Americans who call themselves Christians in a lifetime do not read through the Word of God? It takes about 70 hours to listen 
from Genesis to Revelation on an audible tape. Takes about 70 hours to listen to the Bible completely through. And one of the things that this world has done, and Satan has done an excellent job with this, is keeping us from his word. A lot of churches don't even carry Bibles today. A lot of churches don't even open up their with them electrical devices with a Bible on it. A lot of us don't even look at the Word of God anymore. We just come hoping to get a sermon and a feel-good massage, and off we go. Satan has separated God's people from his word. Satan don't mind you thinking about God or forming your own image in your mind about God or coming up with your own principles that you might believe that are from God. But the thing Satan doesn't want you to do is get into this. And he has done an excellent job keeping us out of this book. Now understand this. If you allow the word of God inside of you to really live in you, it will indoctrinate you to the will of God for your life. It will indoctrinate you. It will instruct you. It will teach you God's will for your life. It will paint a different picture of this person whom you call God if you really get into this word. God wants to imagine him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. Now, we're on this subject of the word and the Holy Spirit's work. And part of that work is sanctifying us. Never forget he is the author of the word of God. He's the one that empowers that word to do what God has instructed for it to do. But here's one of the things that we looked at two weeks ago. I know some of you got your notes from two weeks ago, from 1-8, when we talked about Jesus sanctifying himself. He was set apart by God. But then he also had to sanctify himself. Now what you and I have to remember is this. God, the moment you are us apart. Now the question is this. Do you want to be set apart? 
every man, every woman. The moment they come up and say, I do, and they're married, they set each other apart. Because setting each other apart means we put limitations on ourselves. The man sets his wife apart for himself. But what does she have to do? Set herself apart for him. He sets himself apart for her. And we both put limits on ourselves because we have sanctified ourselves one another. And because we sanctify ourselves to one another, we limit ourselves. God sanctified Jesus or set Jesus apart, as we talked about two weeks ago, to send him unto us. And later we read the scripture where Jesus says he sanctifies himself for us. So, in 1036, it says, and Jesus is speaking to those who have asked him a question earlier in verse 24. And he basically said, what about the one whom the Father set apart, speaking of himself? That the Father has set me apart. Certain work. As his very own. As his very own son. If you go to John 3.16. And his only son. He set him apart. But then when you get in John 17.19. You hear Jesus says. For them I sanctify myself. For they too may be truly sanctified. That he sanctifies himself. Allowing us to see this picture. God sets us apart. But who else has to set themselves apart? We do. We have to say to ourselves, I belong to Jesus, not to this world. I belong to God, not to this world. You got to say to yourself, who do you truly belong to? And he says, I sanctify for them. He limited himself. And then go through the scriptures and see how Jesus Christ denied himself as being the person of God, fully God. But yet, denied himself. If he would have acted on his divinity, he would have never had a day in which he was hungry. If he would have acted on his divinity, he would have never known thirst. If he would have acted on his divinity, not a person would raise their voice to him, let alone spit on him or beat him with a whip. If he would have acted on his divinity, he would have never had to walk from Galilee to Jerusalem. By setting himself apart for us to be our example, he limited himself from using his divinity to benefit himself. 
God sets us apart. Do we want to be set apart? Do we want to be his? Do we want to be different than the world? Do we want to be holy and godly and consecrated unto him? Do we want that? Or do we just want to be religious? In John 17, go there with me. Pick up in verse 15, 15 through 17. Look what Jesus prays for us. Wouldn't it be nice that the moment you're saved, you are removed? Wouldn't that be great? Just think of how many lonely men it would be in the world. The moment their wife said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, be my Savior, and they're gone. Some men might applaud that. Some women may applaud that. The moment a husband is saved. And he's gone. But that's not God's plan. The word of God gives us and shows us God's will. Not the total will. But it does show us his will. As we get to know him, we begin to recognize for us and relationship the Holy Spirit begins to describe what he wants of our personal and the question is are we willing to walk in it had a young lady share with me this week and her thing was that God would push her to such a point that she would say no to God. And I said no. And I listened to her for a little bit. I said no. You're wrong in that thinking. Because God's promise to us is this. He'll never put more upon us than what we can bear. He'll never put more upon us than we can bear. Secondly, everything he asks us to do, he equips us, prepares us to do it. And the only reason you would say no is simply because of your own decision, your own will, not because of any force that God put before you or trying to make you do. We need to understand that God's called us. He's preparing us. He's working in us. And if we can't see that work of his hand in our life, then I would say question. So he says in that verse 15, my prayer. Now I want you to understand who's saying this, Jesus. And he personalized it by saying, my prayer 
This is my prayer for you. This is my will for you. This is what I desire for you. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus wasn't praying that we be taken out of the world, but that God would keep us from the evil one. Why what? While we're in the world. Now what we have to recognize is is the evil one after us the moment we accept the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he want to do? He wants to steal the word of God from us. Why? Because if he steals the word, he steals the blessing. He steals everything that God would have us to be because it's in the word. Therefore, when you read about the sowers in Matthew 13, that some hear the word and the enemy very quickly to do what? To take it away. To take it away. Where you get your power, where you get your strength, where you get your energy, where you get your ability to grow and mature in Christ is through the Word. It's through the Word. It's you digging in the Word. Allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work. And His prayer is don't take them out, Lord. Father, just leave them, but Lord, protect them from the evil one that's going to attack them, that's going to come after them. Now, part of our problem is this. A lot of us don't believe in a Satan. A lot of us don't believe that there's an evil one behind it. Now, let me put it in this frame. Most people who stay home from church, and yet the word of God says, Do not forsake the fellowshipping of yourself together. Are they being led of God to stay away from the church? Or are they being led by the evil one? And understand this. The evil one will give you great excuses why not to. And yet a lot of people will tell you, I love the Lord. I'm saved and haven't seen inside of a church for four or five years. They might make it on a Christmas or Easter. How many of you women would stay with a man and only show up on Easter and Christmas? The whole process, when you love God, there's a pulse, there's a strength, there's an anointing, there is something that pushes you. Not so much to do what the pastor wants you to do but what the word itself describes for you to do. And we have to down too. Pastor is not boss. God is. And we need to understand that. And he says, protect them from the evil one. Then in 16 he says, they are not of the world. How many of you as Christians understand you're not of this world? You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You don't live like this world. You don't talk like this world. You don't dress like this world. You don't do the things that this world do. There has to be something about a Christian that distinguishes us. And that's our behavior. Our conduct. Our mannerism. 
is different. Why? It proceeds from God, not from the world. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Now, catch 17. Look what the prayer is again. Sanctify them by thy truth. By what? By thy truth. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is what? Truth. Now, if Satan keeps me from the word, what is he keeping me from also? He's keeping me from sanctifying myself, consecrating myself, setting myself apart unto God because I don't know how to do it. As a Boy Scout, you learned all these different knots. The only knot that I know how to do now, I think it's, 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 it's the square knot. It's the, a lot of the other ones, I didn't forget. Why? I didn't practice it. If you don't practice, if you're not reading, you're not practicing, you're going to lose it. And Satan has done a good job keeping us from the word of God. Because it's the word of God that calls me into practice to do this, to do that. It's the word of God that explains and shows me how to do it. It's the word of God that builds me. And if, I, if he can keep me from the word, he keeps me from sanctifying myself. He keeps me from growing in Christ. And he says, Lord, sanctify them. How? By your word. For your word is what? Truth. Go over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, we're going to walk through this a little bit. hope we can get over to Psalms Chapter 19, verse 12, he says, for the word of God is living. He describes to us his word, his word. He gives us a description of what his word can do. But if you're not on the surgical table, the doctor can't operate. If you're not there being prepped for the surgery, there's no operation that's going to take place. You have to show up. You're the one that has to be willing to be prepped. You're the one that has to lay yourself down on the table and you're the one who has to say, I'm ready. I'm ready. All five surgeries that I've had, I've had to say to the doctor when they come into that room before they wheel me out, I'm ready. And usually they ask me, Gus, are you ready? You understand what we're going to do? You ready? And if I don't say yes, that stops what? Everything. The Holy Spirit is ready to do his work in your life with the word. 
He's ready to do spiritual surgery. But are you giving him the okay? Are you saying to him, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. And he says there in that 412, for the word of God is living. That's the first thing. It's alive. It's alive. It's living. Alive having life. The word in and of itself has life because of who it proceeds from. The Holy Spirit from God. The word has life. It's not dead. It's full of vigor and power. It's living. And he wants to know that his word is a living word. Why? Because what it delivers to each and every one of us is life. Is life. Is spiritual life. Is life to our souls. And then he goes on and he simply says, it's active. Is active. Well, the Word of God is living and active. It's active within the environment that it is supposed to be active in. It's operational in its natural state or place. And its natural state and place to operate is in the life of the believer. The Word was given to the believer, not to the unbeliever. To the believer. And that word, as it enters into our life and we let it in, it brings about a new life in us. It develops something different in us. It brings us into that image of Jesus Christ. It yields us to the will of God that we might know the will of God and do the will of God. It operates in the believer's life. That's his natural environment. The word is meant to be in you. The word is meant to be in the believer. That it might do its work in our life. Then it says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I bought my sword. It's not like a knife. Often a knife or some sorts have a flat edge over here, much thicker, and one side is sharp. But the thing about the sword is this. It cuts no matter which way it goes. It's a two-edged sword, and it cuts. And it needs to cut. Why? It's doing surgery in us. It's cutting away the worldliness in us. It's cutting away the hatred in us. It's cutting away the deceitfulness in us. It's cutting at us. When the surgeon removed the cancer cells out of one part of my body, they had to go in and cut it out. He said, if we don't remove it, it attacks the other cells. Understand something about your life. If God doesn't remove the sin out of your life, it will affect 
other parts of your body. So he cuts. He cuts. He cuts. Now, just like God wants to plant his seed in us and have that seed grow, from the day you took your first breath, Satan's been busy planting seeds in your life. Now he has to cut. And he has to remove. And then he says, even to the point now, that this sharp part right here on the sword, he said it can penetrate. It can penetrate. That's why it's made the way it is. And the word is able to penetrate our lives. And go deeply within us. But then there's something else. And I want you to hang with me here for a few moments with this. Because, boy, not only does he penetrate, but it says here, it penetrates even to dividing between soul and spirit. Let's deal with that for a moment. The soul is where consciousness is. The soul is where you're making those decisions. We could say within a sense, the soul is where the mind is also housed. Or the consciousness is housed. Not in the spirit. So the word of God knows where to begin at. Let's begin with the spirit. Begins with the soul. And then the soul, once it's in agreement with God, is somewhat transferred to our spirit, that this is what I believe. Now to know if I'm correct in what I believe, the Holy Spirit then talks with my spirit that confirms that this is truth. That this is truth. That this is truth. But my soul receives the word of God. Why? It's my soul that needs to be corrected. Nowhere in Scripture will you read that your spirit went to hell, but your soul goes to hell. And it's the soul of man that needs to be saved. It's the soul of man that the thinking and the thoughts and the processing all need to be changed. And it says the Word of God divides that. He knows which one to really minister to there. Now, go with me to Ecclesiastes 12, 7, real quick. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. He says, And the dust returns to the ground. That's this body. The dust returns to the ground. It came from. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. The spirit that is in you returns to God who gave it. And he gave us that spirit for a reason. That we can communicate with the Holy Spirit. Now go over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 28. Look what he warns us or tells us. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. But that's all they can do. Man don't have control over your soul. 
just this body. But there's one who has control over the soul. So he said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill what? The soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Never speaks of the spirit, but the soul. And the word has to speak to our soul, the consciousness of man. And once we agree there, the spirit and the Holy Spirit confirms and says, this is right. This is right. That's why when you feel guilty, it's a conscious effect. Not so much a spirit effect, it's a conscious effect. And the Holy Spirit never stamps his approval on it. And when he doesn't stamp his approval on it, you will not experience God's peace. But when the Holy Spirit stamps his approval on it, you will experience, I don't care what's going on in your life, a peace and a joy that passes all understanding. He says, don't fear that one who can kill the body, but the one who can cast the soul and body. Never mentions the spirit. Why? The spirit automatically goes back where? Back to God who gave it to us. Go to Romans 8, verse 16. Romans 8, verse 16. He simply says, The Spirit himself testifies with our what? With our spirit. God gave us a spirit that we might communicate with his spirit. And his spirit could communicate with our spirit. And he simply says, the Spirit himself testifies or witness to the truth of God's word. He testifies and witness to God's will that this is God's will. That we're not walking in darkness. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He wants us to know that truth. And the Spirit confirms that truth in our life. It judges the thoughts, it says then. That the Word itself judges the thoughts and the attitudes that we have. Go to 2 Corinthians 10.5. 2 Corinthians 10.5. See, The real sin doesn't take place until I put those thoughts into action. But those thoughts can be stopped in their tracks. So, in 10, verse 5, this is what he says, because I want you to recognize something. The real spiritual battle doesn't take place out here 
the real spiritual battle takes place in here, in you. It takes place on the inside. Not so much the outside. It's the inside where you battle. And he says, boy, we demolish arguments and pretensions that set itself up against the knowledge of God. Anything that is contrary to the word that comes in, if I know this word, this word through the power of the Holy Spirit, it attacks that very quickly and says, nope, nope, nope. And the Holy Spirit begin then, if you're really in the word of God, begin to show you what is truth, what is truth, so that you can make a sound decision and that you know what direction to go. But we're arguing with these arguments in our minds, in our consciousness. And he says, boy, it demolishes strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, underline that word captive, we take captive every thought. That that thought does not have the right in my mind to run about and do all that it would like Satan would want me to do. It doesn't take control of me. It doesn't take control of me. Sin no longer has control over me. Because it starts where at? Up here. Up here. Up here. A man doesn't decide to divorce his wife the day of the divorce, the day they show up in court. That was settled when? Some time ago. A woman doesn't decide to divorce her husband the day of divorce or the court hearing. That was decided what? Some time ago. Where at? Up here. The battle was going on up here. And what takes place, he says, it brings the word of God has the power to release the thought and the Holy Spirit and say, praise God, that's a good thought. That's a good thought. That's a godly thought. That's God's will. Or stop that thought in its infancy, in its tracks in its very beginning before it can get out the gate. God's word. But understand this. If God's word is not in your mind, in your heart, it stops nothing. Satan has a free will with you. He has his own way with you. Because you have nothing to argue against Satan with. Jesus in the desert being tempted. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. A lot of us can't say it's written because we don't know if it's written. And you have to be in God's word. And God's word sets you apart for him and unto him. It stops every thought, every argument that will come against him. And so we say what God is expecting of us is foolish. He's asking too much. And God's word, the Holy Spirit, come in and say, no, he means good to you. He means good to you. He loves you. Just stay the course. Stay true. Stay faithful. What's required of a servant? That they be faithful. What's required of a Christian? That they be faithful unto God. And you're outside the word of God. Don't even be.
faithfulness or loyalty. You don't know how to trust God. And that's where Satan gets us and beats us up. Because we don't even know how to begin to trust God. Children, the moment they're born, parents are teaching them to trust them, to trust them, to trust them. Isn't it strange when they get so old they no longer trust? But they trusted you to feed them. They trusted you to have a warm place for them. They trusted you to clothe them. They trusted you to intercede for them when they couldn't intercede for themselves. But we're much like children. We've grown up to such a point we no longer need God's advice, his wisdom, his shelter. We need to understand the word of God. Teach me from all those negative thoughts about God that Satan tries to plant in our mind. And he goes on and he simply says, Why? That he himself allows us to have the thoughts, but we're the ones that have to bring the thought under captivity under the control of Jesus Christ, under the control of the Word. Don't ever think, now the challenge is about any man in here, that you haven't had a thought about sneaking out at some point. And yet something stopped that. Something stopped that. Something stopped it. What stopped it? What held it? What keeps you faithful to your wife? God does. His word does. Brings every thought, every imagination under who? The captivity of Jesus Christ. When you look at verse 13, it says it just uncovers. The word uncovers everything. Very quickly, go to Psalms 19. Go to Psalms 19 very quickly. Thanks, Vic. Because I want you to pick up in verse 7, and I want you to see what the word does. You have time to go back through these verses. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. First of all, the God's word is perfect. There's no error in it. There's no mistake in it. You can trust it because it's perfect. And God is honest. And God's telling you the truth. He's not lying to you. He's not deceiving you. It is perfect. Why? It revives the soul. I don't care what you say. I've seen it. I've done it. When you take people who have different depressions and some mental problems and so forth, you get them into the word of God and it transforms that mind. After 10 years at Akron General in the psych ward, I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And I've sat down with psychologists and they asked, how did you get this person to do that? I didn't get the person to do anything. The word does. The word does. 
And the word begins to calm them. That they can repeat that word of God to themselves. That they can bring it back into their mind. That they can focus on God's word. So my key word became focus, 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 focus. Because you have to be able to focus on something else. And you've got to stop your mind and focus. And you focus on God's word. He said it revives the soul. It renews the soul. It regenerates that life. It does something different in that life. Why? His law is perfect. His word is perfect. And then he goes on and he says, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Satan doesn't want you to what? Trust God. That's where a lot of failure is at in Christianity. We say we trust him and we don't. And we don't trust him until our back is against the wall. And there's nowhere else to go. Then we call on him. The moment I have the wrong thought, I need to call on him. The wrong I make the first wrong mistake, I need to call on him and repent. The first ideal in the morning is to thank him and let him know, I'm going to trust you, Lord. No matter what comes into my life, you've already prepared me to handle it. It is a trustworthy statement that I'm trusting him. And he says, trustworthy. And then he says, making the wise simple. You don't need a PhD. You don't need this and you don't need similar. You just need to get the word of God and you're in hiding. But you won't sin against God. And God's word gives you wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. I'm rushing a little bit. And he says, the precepts of the Lord are right and gives joy. Now, why would it give joy? God's word gives joy. What is the joy? The joy is the strength of my God. The joy of the Lord is what? My strength. And when you rejoice in his word, you strengthen yourself. You're not fearful. You strengthen yourself because you're rejoicing in what God's doing in your life. And you're trusting him. And he goes on there and he says, boy, the commandments of the Lord are radiant. And then he uses it again. He says it's light. Why? The word of God gives us light in a dark world. The Lord's word gives me light to my path that I won't stumble. I won't fall. God's word is radiant. It's light. It lightens up this dark world that I can see how to maneuver. And he says, boy, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Now let's skip all the way. You can read the rest of it, but I really want to get to 11. By them, by what? By God's word. Catch this. Underline this. Hold this. Repeat it to yourself. He says, by them is your servant warned. By God's word, we are warned about what not to do. Catch that. But if you don't know God's word, you don't know the warning. You know God's word, you know the warning. You know the danger. You know the potholes that Satan is is setting for you. But look at the other part of that now. In keeping them, keeping what? In keeping his word, his precepts, his concepts, in keeping them, there is what? Great 
reward. Great reward. He doesn't list what those rewards are. But he said, if you put that word in here, and you live out that word, there is great rewards when Elaine and I are living in this older age off of the great rewards above. Some of you are living off of the great rewards of God because of your faithfulness and your love for Him. Some of you really, as they say, count your many blessings. You can't count all your blessings of what God has done because you have kept his word. And he says his word has great reward unto us. Remember what it says about Satan? He comes to steal and to kill. What is Satan stealing from you? Your great reward that you would receive by being obedient to the word. He's snatching that away. He's stealing it from you. He's taking it from you. Because you won't trust, you won't obey, you won't do what is God's will in your life. People, God's word. Not what Pastor Brown says. For the scripture says for you to study and show yourself what? Approved unto who? Not Pastor Brown. You study the word for your own self. You study the word to enrich your life. You're in the word to receive God's rewards, not the rewards that Pastor Brown will pass on to you, because I don't have nothing to give to you. I'm trying to get all I can get for myself. Word, the word. Father, we thank you that your word sanctifies us and that your word, Lord, is able to keep us. Your word is our strength. Your word is our light unto our path. Your word is our wisdom. Your word gives us knowledge of thee and it reveals your will. Your word, Lord. Lord, if you anchor us to anything, anchor us to your word. Anchor us to your word. Tie us to your word. Bind us to your word. Hold us to your word. Keep us in the center of your word. And we'll give you praise and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And very soon we are going to see the key to 